learning. So do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding, and do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt her, exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask you to guide us and teach us. Lord, help us to understand what you have to say here this morning about wisdom and where it is found in your Son, Jesus. And help us, Lord, to be humble, teachable, willing to hear from your word encouragement and correction, guidance, steps of faith that we should take, whatever it is that we need. Would you speak to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we saw in this passage, Proverbs 4 begins with a father speaking to his sons. Now, I can relate to that for obvious reasons, because as you know, we have three sons. Uh, Two of them are growing and out of the house and, uh, you know, in, in training and studying for the ministry that God's calling them to. And our youngest son, Ben, is going to start his senior year in high school. And just like the father in Proverbs, I know that as parents, we have a whole bunch of stuff that we want to teach our children, don't we? And when we think about kids in your home, there's all kinds of things that you want to pass on to them and prepare them for, both spiritual and practical. Uh, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, uh, Ben and I sat down. We made up a list of kind of life skills that I know I was probably more motivated in this than he was, but life skills that I wanted him to have before he went off to college. And whether it's basic car care or finances or some of those kind of things you want him to learn or mom taking care of making sure he knows how to cook or laundry or some of those uh, tasks as well. Uh, there are certain life skills we want to pass on to our kids. But most of all, as Christian parents, we're concerned about the heart. We're concerned about our children, that they walk with God, that they learn to love Him and listen to His Word, that they have good relationships that are going to encourage them and support them in that journey of faith, and that they would learn to listen to God and to follow His will for their life. That's what the writer of Scripture is talking about here. That's the focus of this chapter. Uh, It is a call to walk with God and to seek His wisdom in everything that we do. And the way that the writer of Proverbs kind of motivates us to do that is he uses three metaphors to describe what wisdom is like, to show us the value of God's Word and how important it is to seek His will in all that we do. The first metaphor that he uses is found in verses 1 to 9, and he tells us that wisdom is like a good mate. Wisdom is like a good mate, a good husband or wife. And those of you that are married and have been blessed in that relationship know what I'm talking about. When I think about my wife, for example, you know, I just think she is absolutely perfect for me, and I praise God as this is one of God's best gifts in my life has been my marriage to Gail. 
And I can't imagine going through life without her. I mean, she makes everything in life better for me. Whether we are going camping or shopping or we're working around the house or involved in ministry or enjoying time with our family, uh, she just brings joy to life for me, encouragement. And uh, just that kind of companionship that you have that is so special in that marriage relationship. And what the writer of Scripture is saying here is that wisdom is like that. Godly wisdom, God's wisdom makes all of life better. And it adds a richness to every relationship that you have, to every aspect of your life. And we're going to see that here. It begins with a father saying, pay attention to his son. And sometimes we have to do that as parents, don't we? We say, pay attention, listen to me, this is really important. In verse 2, I give you sound learning, so don't forsake this. Don't turn away from this. This is of great value. And he begins by saying, When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother. I know sometimes kids can hear that and they kind of roll their eyes back, don't they, when you start talking about when I was a child or when I was a kid, you know, and it was this way or this is what happened. But here in a very positive sense, this man, this writer of Scripture is saying, when I was a young boy, still tender, impressionable, my father taught me some things of great value. And he said, lay hold of my words with all your heart and keep my commands and you will live. You know, I think about that. I mean, as we get older, I think sometimes we appreciate more and more what we were taught as a child. Looking back on my family, I appreciate so much the example of my mom and my dad in many different areas. Sometimes there was teaching that was more formal, but most of the time the teaching was by their example. Example, I think of my dad, of humility and hard work and consistency and faithfulness and honesty. Values that ran deep in his life. And they were just were a part of who he was. And and uh, so I would say again, as the phrase is used, that probably more was caught than taught by me. I mean, I just saw it. He just lived this out in his life. And my mom, too, and her consistency and example. And there were things that I picked up from them that I deeply value today. One of the things I know that came through from my grandfather and my father and that was modeled for me was the aspect of generosity. I would hear stories about my grandfather and his joy and delight in giving to support God's work and the ministry and the things that he was involved in. And then seeing that same joy and delight in my dad when he had the opportunity to give and be a part of something. Those are lessons that a child picks up. And they aren't always expressed you know, verbally that you have to do this. Sometimes you just see it by the example and you see the joy and the blessing that comes and so you pick up or tune into that. And here is a father wanting to pass on this kind of wisdom to his son. And he tells them about the value of wisdom. In fact, he's telling them that the greatest treasure that I can give to you, or in fact, the greatest treasure that I can encourage you to acquire, is going to be God's wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. And though it costs you all you have, get understanding. He goes on in that passage to describe how wisdom will protect you, will watch over you. She will exalt you. She will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head. She will be a blessing to you. 
in every area of life if you will follow God's will. And as a Christian, when we read that, I mean, that's, that's like, wow. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't delight in those things? How do we get this? Where do we find it? Well, he describes wisdom here in, in a way that personifies wisdom. Wisdom is personified in chapter 4 like a woman of great worth. And the language that he uses for acquiring wisdom is like a good courtship. He uses phrases in verses uh, 7, 8, and 9 and going on there. Actually, starting in verse 6 too. Um, phrases like this, like love her, esteem her, embrace her, do not forsake her. I mean, that's the language of a, of a courtship. That's the language of wanting to endear someone or be you're attracted to her, you value her, and so you want to win her. And he's describing God's wisdom in this way as something of great value that we are to pursue and love and delight in and esteem. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44 to 46, if you put those verses up. He tells us there that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and he sold all he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It's that same idea that there is something of tremendous value here in God's Word. It is worth everything you've got. It's worth selling all that you have to know Christ and to follow His will in your life. It is more precious than silver or gold. So listen. Listen and learn from what God has said here. If wisdom is like a courtship then, then how do I show God that I love Him? And how do I value God and His Word? Do I value it in the way that the writer of Scripture here is talking about wisdom? And do I value the time that I spend with Him? And those are important questions to think about in terms of our relationship with God. I mean, I think the way that we show that we value God or honor Him is by the attention we pay to His Word. It's, it's shown in coming to worship, but also listening attentively to the message and the Scripture and then thinking about how does this apply to my life. It's shown in our personal times with God when we're in the Word and prayer or when we're making decisions that we pray about those things and we ask God to guide us. It's shown in our obedience in terms of putting God's Word into practice in our life. Wisdom is like a good mate. But secondly, wisdom is also like a good and safe path. Wisdom is like a good and safe path. You know, I was thinking about the difference between travel then and now. And for most of us, when we think about traveling, you know, if we're going to work, generally we want to find the fastest and the best route to get to work, and we're efficient and we want to get there on time. If we're going on a trip, sometimes we want to get there quickly. Other times we, we want to take a scenic route. You know, maybe you're doing a trip to Yellowstone and so you're saying, well, do I want to go through the Black Hills or do I want to go through Montana and then come down through on the Beartooth Pass? Or how do I want to get there? Because you're interested in what you're seeing. 
rarely do we think about safety in terms of those travels because we kind of assume that all the highways that we're going to pick are relatively safe and they're about the same no matter which way you go. But in ancient times when they thought about travel, safety wasn't something you could take for granted. There were roads that were dangerous. In fact, most roads could be dangerous. It's one of the reasons why when the pilgrims went up to Jerusalem, when they were going from Galilee and they'd go that way, and obviously I'm not talking about the pilgrims that came to this country, I'm talking about those in pilgrimage uh, in, in uh, Israel. When they would make their way up, they didn't want to go through Samaria. It wasn't safe. They'd go down along the Galilee to Jericho and going up. And even on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, there were robbers and bandits, and so you would travel in times in groups, large companies. You were concerned about safety. And so the idea of finding a good and safe path for life meant something significant. You know, and we see this contrast in verses 10 to 19 of these two different paths that you can take for life. There is the way of wisdom, and there is the way of the wicked. And he describes them here. For example, in verses 10 to 12, he says that the way of wisdom is like a straight path. Listen, my son, and accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. There is a way that you can go that will be a straight path toward God and toward His will and His plans for your life. And when you follow God, it doesn't mean that life's not going to have challenges along the way or that there won't be difficulties and trials. Jesus said that, that in this world we're going to have trouble. But God is going to be there. By His Holy Spirit, He will walk with you each step of the way and He will lead you and guide you in a safe path. In verse 18, he says that the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, and it shines ever brighter till the full light of day. What a beautiful picture that is. I mean, if you've ever been up in the morning in the summer here to see one of those bright sunrises, or maybe you've been at the lake or someplace on vacation, and you see that or you hear the call of the loons in the morning and you're out there and you're watching that sunrise, it's glorious. It's glorious. And he's saying that's what the way of the righteous is like. That the light of God and His Word shines on your life until it becomes this full light of day. It is a beautiful picture of what wisdom is like in our life. But in contrast, in verses 14 through 17, he describes the way of the wicked. And he says, Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it and do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. And they are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. He's describing a people who are so enticed and involved in their sin and evil that their life, their bread, their food is wickedness and evil. They are addicted to it, if you will. They can't even sleep until they've gone down this course and they've robbed someone or taken things that are not theirs. In verse 19, he says that the way of the wicked is like deep 
darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They don't understand what's going on in their life. And they can't see it at all. What a contrast between the way of the righteous that is like that first light of dawn shining brighter till the full day and the way of the wicked being like darkness, stumbling, falling, not even knowing what it is that trips them up. We see that lived out in our world. We see the paths that people take and if you have chosen to follow God and you are walking with Him, you understand how God's Word again, makes everything in your life better. The relationships that you have, your work, your family life, it gives a blessing, a richness, a joy. But those who have followed this path of wickedness and who succumb to it and get more and more involved in it find themselves ensnared or trapped by it. And they don't know how to get out. And the answer isn't found in a self-help program. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. That He's the only one who can set us free from our addictions and bondage and the sin that we are enslaved to. You see, when the writer of Scripture talks about how God's wisdom is like a good and safe path, this isn't a matter of preferences. As though we can pick any way we want to go and any path will do. This is a matter of life and death. There is a way that seems right to a man that leads to death, and there is a way that is right that leads to life. And Jesus again talked about that. He talked about these two roads, and the one that was broad or wide and that led to destruction, and the one that was narrow that led to life. Now, if that is true, and it is, then am I careful where I walk? Am I careful about the path that I am following? And am I keeping my eyes on Christ and choosing to walk with Him and in His Word each and every day? That's the way of wisdom. And finally, he tells us that wisdom is like a good heart. In verses 20 to 27, wisdom is like a good heart. Now, many of you know that uh, last uh, December, uh, I went into the emergency room one day where I was having some slight chest pains, and I didn't know what was going on, and so I went in, and I know that part of the reason for that was that about a month earlier than that, I had had a good high school friend who had died of a heart attack. Ironic thing for him was that he was a paramedic, an EMT, and he was having chest pains, and he didn't go in. And when, he, when um, he had his heart attack, it was so severe that it was too late to do anything, and he died. And I think when you have things like that happen, you probably are a little more cautious and saying, okay, I better pay attention. And fortunately for me, it turned out to just be probably something like acid reflux or something like that, and I haven't had any recurrence of anything. But I learned something in that event, that if you're 53 years old and you go into an emergency room and you say you're having chest pains, you get attention pretty quickly. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they did all the tests and everything turned out to be fine on that. The reason we are concerned about things like that is that we know that our heart is absolutely essential to our physical life. I mean, we can't live without our heart pumping that blood through our body. And a healthy heart is vital to a healthy body. 
Well, the heart that the writer of Scripture is talking about here is our heart in a spiritual sense. It's that center of our mind and our emotions and our will. It's the essence of who we are. It's that place where we make those decisions and values and things that are important to us. And so this father is talking to his son about the importance of the heart. And again he says, My son, pay attention to what I say. And listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight and keep them within your heart. Let God's word sink deeply into the very core of who you are. Let his word saturate your heart and your mind and hold on to these. For they are life to those who find them. And they are health to a man's whole body. You see the metaphor he's using? That God's Word, God's wisdom is like our heart and it brings health to the whole body. That's what he's saying. And so he goes on to say, above all else. Now, here, this is the most important thing you can do. Above all else, guard your heart. Protect it like a treasure. Be careful what you put into your heart. Guard it well because the heart affects all of life be careful in terms of what you read what you look at what you think about because those things feed our heart and our mind and they feed the values that we have and they feed the choices and the desires that we have so it is extremely important it is of the first importance that we guard our heart what we read, what we think about, what we listen to. And you begin to understand why God's Word is so important then. Because it shapes our mind and our heart and our life. Jesus said, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we think about in our heart is reflected in what we say and how we live our life. And that is what the writer of Scripture expresses here. Because if you look at verses 24, 25, 26, 27, what he expresses is how the heart affects all these other areas of life. The heart directs our words. And so he says in verse 24, put away perversity from your mouth and let corrupt talk, or keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Guard your heart because the heart directs what we say. He says, guard your heart because the heart directs what we look at. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Keep your eyes on Christ. Follow Him. Listen to God's Word and set your mind on things above, not on things below that are one day going to pass away. In verse 26, the heart directs our feet. Where we go, what we do. And so he says, make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. Guard your steps. Watch where you go. What you do. What you say. All of those things are affected by the heart. You know, when I was uh, growing up as a kid, one of the things that I looked forward to every fair in our community was the county fair. 
it was kind of the big event. People would come up from all over in an agricultural community. You know, they had the exhibits. And I loved to see, you know, who had the best grain crops or vegetables. And it was fun, even as a kid, in the environment that I grew up in. But the thing that I enjoyed the most were the rides at the fair. And so I'd be, you know, saving up my money or I'd do extra chores around the farm and, and working at home and trying to earn some money so I could buy the tickets to go on the rides because that was really fun for me as a kid. And the way that they had things lined up in the county fair, though, was kind of interesting. That To get from the grandstand to the rides, you had to go through the midway area where they had all of the different booths and the for lack of a better word, the hawkers that were calling you to come in and, and spend some money at their booth. And there'd be the guys there, you know, in a fair that have like these bottles that are stacked up, you know, and if you knock over these bottles, you can get a nice teddy bear or a stuffed animal or something. And they'd be out there showing how easy it is, you know, just a little pitch of a baseball, knock them over, no problem. And then I'd watch other guys who would do it, you know, and thrown as hard as they could hitting this and nothing would move or maybe one bottle would go over. And, you know, I always wondered how they did that. Do they have a magnet in there or is there something trying to hold this thing down? And, you know, and, and there were all these kind of hawkers who were calling, come on over, you know, come on, you can do this, you can do this. And the one that enticed me probably the most as a kid were the little cranes that they had in these uh, glass, you know, areas where you kind of turn the cranes and you're trying to get the sharp pointy objects that were there like a pocket knife or maybe there was a pen or a lighter or something like that that you'd try and get. And um, I'd, I'd end up spending some of my money there. And once in a while you'd get something. But, you know, I also learned that even when you got it, usually whatever you got broke pretty quickly. It wasn't of much value or worth. And I, as a kid, remember learning the lesson pretty early on that a fool and his money will soon be parted. You know, you can, you could see that. So, so, you know, being astute here and figuring this thing out after a few losses along the way, I learned that the way to get through that was to just keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't listen to these hawkers. I'm going to go to the rides and I'm going to enjoy that part of the fair. And there is a sense in which, in life, I have found the same thing to be true for us spiritually. That if we are going to accomplish what it is that God has for our life, and we're going to accomplish the goals that we really want, in terms of our family and our faith and our work and all of those areas, then we need to follow God's will for our life. And keep our eyes on Him. And what Satan does is he comes along the way and he's like those hawkers on the side and there are all kinds of people wanting to entice you to go this way or go that way or spend your money here or do this there. And those ways are traps. And they're snares. They, they promise much but they can't deliver. They entice people, whether it is through things like drugs or alcohol or sex or uh, career or advancement in certain areas that take people away from God's will for their life. It's all out there. And that's what the world tries to throw at us. But if we will follow God and His will for our life, He will lead us and guide us. And what I've found in my life and what I know that those of you who know Christ have found in your life is that when we do that, my marriage is better, my family's better, my relationships and friendships are better, my work is more meaningful and satisfying. My life is enriched in so many ways because God is in it and He is leading us and directing us. 
And when we understand that, and when we come to know Christ, and we see how much He loves us, then following Him is the most rational thing to do. It's the most rational, most satisfying thing to do when we begin to see how it is really sin that is irrational and folly. That's what the Scripture is calling us to. To put God first in our life and to seek His wisdom in everything that we do. Wisdom is like a good mate, a good husband or wife. They make all of life better. And wisdom is like a good path. It gives safety and direction. And wisdom is like a good heart. It brings health to the whole body. So I want to encourage you to put God first in your life, to seek His wisdom in all that you do. I'm excited about this fall coming up. We are working and preparing for a new year of ministry. And we want to help you, you know, if you're married, and we want to help you in your marriage or parenting skills. Uh, If you are a new believer in Christ and you want to grow deeper in your relationship with Him, we want you to be involved in our ABFs or small groups. We want to help you to do that to understand God's Word and apply it to your life. If you're looking for a place to serve, there are all kinds of opportunities to serve and make a difference for Christ both within our church and in ministries to the community. We're here to make a difference for Him. And again, when we put Him first in our life and follow His will, He will use us and He will accomplish those purposes in us. Let's pray. Father, Your way is good. And we know that. We see that in Your Word. And we know that in our heart when we have come to follow You. You also know how sometimes, unfortunately, we can make poor choices. And there are times when we have chosen not to walk with You and we have disobeyed. Father, forgive us. Hold us close to You. Draw us close to Christ. Thank You for these times when we come together to worship and to hear Your Word because it recharges us or helps us to fix our eyes and remember those things that are eternal and of first importance. And I pray that that would be our practice too, Lord, in our daily personal life. That we'd spend time with You each day in the Word and prayer and fixing our eyes on You. Use us, guide us, lead us. We want to grow closer to You. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.